reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It's your faithful Zudi Jasser, Dr. Zudi Jasser, physician, American Muslim activist, and uh, this uh, podcast was founded on reform, on, on addressing and facing and confronting the Islamist establishment. And now with uh, the latest COVID crisis and others, uh, we've broadened the issues. We've uh, begun to talk about how many of the issues that I've talked to you about for so long on political Islam and the need for reform are seen now facing general American culture in the left's driven response to what they see and and what is a problem of brutality in the police, but is it a problem of endemic systemic racism? Certainly there is some racism, and we talk about these issues and how identity politics plays into it on this program. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here week to week. If you're new, I hope you like the discussion. Share it with your friends. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and find this program at Reform This Radio. I want to first wish all my friends, colleagues, fellow fathers, a happy Father's Day. And remember, as we face a country not only in turmoil, but a country that is searching back again for its root values, its foundational values. We learn as parents, as we discussed in Mother's Day, we learned as parents that so many of the things that make us who we are, we learn from our families, from our communities, and from our country. That a country is a totality of its history and where it is today, that it continues to learn from history so that we do not repeat it as wise philosophers have said before. We learn from history so that we can be a collective of our learned good while dispelling the bad. And on Father's Day, we try to be thankful for our parents, for the wisdom that they taught us and tried to prevent us from experiencing the same stressors, the same difficulties and pain that they did. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes parenting is about allowing your kids to learn on their own, to go through the same stressors, as painful as it may be to allow them to feel that pain. Sometimes that's how they mature. That without the experience, without the experiential time, It will not be a learned behavior. And what are those values? Values are things that not only that you believe in, but that you will fight for, that you will identify with. And I think to me on Father's Day today, I think that's the most important message I want to give you, is that... The identity that I have as an American, as an American Muslim, as a faithful believer in God, as a citizen, 
is based on those values. It's not based on my race. It's not based on my culture. Yes, some of that identity seeps in, be it about the music and the culture and the food and other things, the language. Yeah, that seeps into our identity. But at the root of who I am when I say my prayers to God, as I was taught by my parents and my father taught me, was that ultimately that identity is based on a sense that we know what is good, what is right, and we stand for that. And we stand against injustice. We stand against evil. And as I've talked to you before, that was one of the reasons I joined the U.S. Navy was a sense of giving back to this country that gave my family freedom, that gave my family liberty. And I hope and pray that my three kids, who are 18, 16, and 12, get some of that from me, as they do from their mother, get some of that appreciation, that sense of identity that, yes, we are a diverse culture, we are proud of our heritage, but at the peak of the prioritization of who we are in identity is not race, it's not skin color, it is not language or things that are immutable, at the peak of our identity's integrity is character and ethics. So as I see our country today, and, and again, I see the some, some of the differences in behaviors that we see from millennials to generation Xers and Zs and whatever other generations you want to talk about, there are changes and challenges in ability to communicate, changes and challenges in ability to interact with each other. Some of that due to electronic screen time exaggerations, lack of personal human contact. And this has all been accentuated, if you will, by the COVID-19 crisis, social distancing and other things. But we're reminded, we're reminded that are we going to be a culture where Americanism is an ism, is, is, is an idea, where being American is an idea based in equality, based in freedom, based in the fight against tyranny, the fight against theocracy, and the fight for liberty? Or will it be a society defined by fiefdoms, by by a balkanization of different identities based in race, where each vies for their piece of the pie, where each vies for the mantle of victimization, blaming the other. And we go from one period in which one race claims that they are persecuted to another period in which another race claims that they are persecuted to another aggrieved group. And again, I say this on Father's Day because at the nuclear of every community, of every society, is the engine of family values. I don't think we get our values 
from our racial history. I don't think we get our values from our collective of any kind. I am not a collectivist. I think collectivization of political movements is is 99% of the time a harm. Not 100%. Yes, the fight against genocide, against those who hate, needs a collective response. The fight for liberty, for equality, for human rights needs a collective response. So I get that. But the vast majority of times when a political entity collectivizes itself, it does so at the expense of its diversity, at the expense at the expense of its individuality of each of its people that make it that make it a respectable entity so on this father's day yes we need to fight for justice yes we need to stand against police brutality against racism and absolutely there are still elements of racism left i'm going to talk to you about an ad that appeared in the Tennessean this week to show that there is some bigotry left out there. And that one hit close to home because it referenced Islam in some ways that some may have found offensive. But how do you fight that? Do you blame a group for that? Do you make generalizations? And you look this week Minneapolis has taken the removal of historical icons that they believe to be racism to the next step. Ladies and gentlemen, we have now entered the book banning phase of this supposed movement for equality, for anti-racism. But in fact, to me, it seems to be a collectivist, far-left agitation movement for anarchy. Even the son of Muhammad Ali this week, who, by the way, as many of you know, have listened to this podcast for years, you know that I'm not a big fan of Muhammad Ali. Yes, I'm a fan for his medical philanthropy and Parkinson's disease. Yes, I'm a fan for his tenacity in the ring as a boxer. But I'm not a fan for what he did to use his faith to avoid military service, regardless of what you think about the Vietnam War. I was not a fan of the fact that he used Islam to avoid service because Islam is not a pacifist faith. Yes, you can avoid service if you believe in all pacifism and against all wars, but Muslims are not pacifists by definition if you read the Quran. So therefore, he avoided it because if you look at the Supreme Court, it was just not a war he wanted to fight. He believed it was a Christian war that his nation of Islam teachings as separatists taught him not to believe in. But that's not the point. An icon in the Muslim community, the son of Muhammad Ali came out this week and said, Black Lives Matter is a racist movement. Black Lives Matter is not helping the African American community. And he actually voiced his support for President Trump. Maybe that apple is not falling that close to the tree when it comes to certain political or Islamist leanings. And it was hard anyway to get a handle on what Muhammad Ali's leanings were on some things, but he wasn't vocally anti-Islamist, that's for sure. But I think his son's comments point to the fact that it's not 
that there are many African Americans that don't toe the line that you can stand against racism and bigotry and stand for equality and justice in the African American community without towing the line of the Black Lives Matters movement and all of the other encumbrances that it brings and its generalizations about police and generalizations about Americans and American history. This week we've seen statues. The statue of Thomas Jefferson, the statue of George Washington was defaced and toppled with the American flag wrapped around it and burned while the statue of uh, of Lenin stayed standing in Seattle. This is how we're correcting our history. The American values that are that are who we are. Juneteenth this week became a holiday. If you look back in Twitter, social media over the last many years, a few people recognized Juneteenth, but it wasn't looked upon as a day that should be remembered. I get it. I understand that America needs to step away, not only as we did in the, in the huge price paid in the Civil War to defeat the evil that was slavery, but to continue to understand what the, what the history was of that and all of the remaining bigotry that may exist among some people. But does that mean removing all statues of previous presidents and previous individuals that may have owned slaves that were part of the Confederacy before the Civil War? The U.S. Constitution is the world's, I think, most amazing document since our religious documents that came from God. And the U.S. Constitution, a man-made document, cherished and relished without even using the word Christian once, but under Judeo-Christian values, relished the individuality and the freedom of every individual with a Bill of Rights that protected our freedoms. That greatness cannot be denied. It is the foundations of our legal system. It is the foundations of our Supreme Court. And yet, now somehow, the recognition of the Founding Fathers is tarred newly by the fact that some of them were slave owners. There are many aspects of history that that we realized that there were things done at the time that just did not get reformed as quickly and as obviously as they should have been. It needed movements. It ended up needing a civil war. And that has changed. But that does not mean that the ideas, that the underpinnings of what created America need to be dismissed And I think back to my Father's Day discussion. If there's one value that I want my kids to understand, it is that their ability to create and be human is only as good as the ability they have to be free, to discover, to create, 
to write poetry and music and create new things that can bring them success in the free markets. And those individual rights are based on a government that protects them. If you don't have a government that protects those individual rights, you turn into North Korea, China, Syria, you name it, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Governments that don't respect personal property rights, don't respect idea rights for individuals, and treat people with different levels of enslavement. So while the underpinnings of America are based in, I think, an unbelievable document, yes, there were exceptions to that that needed time for movements that should not have been exceptions, and based in bigotry and based in a a, a lack of respect for the equality of all people, blind to race, blind to gender, blind to all the things that now that we are learning post-civil rights movements, post movements for equality, but we remember that the values that created this foundational country, the leading democracy in the planet, are so fragile. And that final message on Father's Day to me that I got from my parents was the reason I joined the Navy and ultimately I hope my kids get, is the fact that The moment you base a movement based on hate of something and you destroy the history that created the goodness of what it is, like we're doing to America now with the lefts, Uh, yes, George Floyd was tortured, was murdered by the police officer that had his knee on his neck, but that police officer is a criminal who's not a representative of the police officers that are sworn to protect our national safety, our public safety. And he will be subject to the full force of the law and punishment, but that does not mean that the police forces in the United States need to be defunded, dismantled, or that they deserve to be blanketly approached as evil. They are human beings, with families just like ours, with respect for Americanism, just like every other family that you know and respect and love. And yet, if we want to respect the American values, dismantling the underpinnings of who we are as Americans and what our forces are and what they stand for and and what our ideas are as Americanists who believe in Americanism, If you can't define what Americanism is, then, and if my kids can't do that, then I've failed. Those values are going to be things that we share as Jews, Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, Buddhists, whatever faith it is or no faith, but they are values that we share that will protect every person of our people, of our citizenry, of our humanity, Whether in this country or abroad, when we interact with them, we will protect human beings. But obviously, especially our citizens who have sworn to protect and preserve our U.S., our our law, our constitution, and our safety from enemies, foreign and domestic. But we cannot be free without a government that protects that freedom. 
We'll always have God. We'll always have our race, our, our, our identities that are immutable. But without the government to protect our individual freedom, once it starts encroaching on that, and this is, you know, this week in the COVID thing, they started to talk about masks and uh, everybody's using the example of, uh, well, they mandate helmets, they mandate uh, a lot of things. The difference is that the masks were mandated on every American. And it wasn't coming from businesses. Yes, if Costco and other grocery stores want to mandate it, it's their private business. They should have a right. It's like no shoes, no shirt, no service. Absolutely. You decide in your business what you mandate, and people can go elsewhere if they don't want it. There's a limit to that. We can get into the, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and, and other things. Absolutely, there should be a limit to that based on prevention of hate, if possible. And again, that to some limit, because that could be a slippery slope to significant government interventions too. But as much as, even the, the experts, by the way, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General, vacillated from week to week through March and April on whether we should wear masks or not, talking about the harms and the benefits and all these things. But ultimately now there's some recent studies that say, you know, yeah, while there may be a billion particles of virus when you sneeze, if you have a mask on, it might be 0.1 billion. <laughs> so yeah, they may go through the mask, but at least there's less of them. So you're protecting others. I get it. And everybody should wear a mask. But when the government all of a sudden overnight, you saw city councils throughout Phoenix and, and Scottsdale and Mesa and everywhere starting to pass mandates of wearing a mask and you have to thank congressman andy biggs for mentioning the obvious which is you know listen the wisdom of masks when closer than six feet is is not really what we're talking about the debate here but the idea that we can't debate even government overreach that all of a sudden rights are taken away boom like that about our physical wearing and what we should or should not wear. And just a year ago, we were talking about religious freedom for hijab, another thing that most of us defended, every, that every human being defends for personal freedom, for individuals. And Congressman Biggs is right when he wrote that America's crossroads, American crossroads are symbolized by the mask mandates, that right now it might seem to be a small thing. Uh, but ultimately, one is the path to freedom and the other is totalitarianism. The mayors impose that on the citizens. And so many in our country, as Congressman Biggs said, are immediately acquiescent in the broad implications Implementation of mandated masks reveals that we may have lost our way, perhaps irretrievably. What prevents personal abuse by leaders of our rights? Is rebellion, is refusal. So those on the margins, it's not those that follow what seems to be moderate, even if the government is imposing things that appear to be rational and moderate. Once you impose it on everyone, it means that 
Human beings can't be trusted. Their free will is no longer important. They're now robots, automatons that need to be dictated through tyranny rather than through convincing education. So what's the slippery slope for health? We should then start mandating the prevention of any sale of cigarettes, any sale of of, of anything unhealthy from chips to uh, um, fats and other things that we see bought a plenty. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? What's the cost to the health of all the things done by personal choices that are poor? That maybe should be tyrannically controlled in order to make some kind of utilitarian argument that the ends justifies the means. Again, this is not about the medical justification for wearing a mask. It's about the limits of governmental control and rulemaking. So I want to get back to closing out the thought on sort of the culture of erasing things in history that are blemishes in somebody's resume, if you will. As Rosina Sabour writes, she says, novels by Harper, Harper Lee and Mark Twain have been pulled from school syllabuses in Minnesota over fears that their use of racial slurs will upset students. The Duluth School District said it was removing To Kill a Mockingbird and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn from its curriculum because their contents may make students feel humiliated or marginalized. It includes 20 schools in that district and said it will keep copies of the classic novels in the libraries but will be removing the texts on its curriculum for its 9th and 11th grade English classes in the next academic year. Carrie... The district's curriculum director said it will be replaced by those books that teach the same lessons without using racist language. They were Pulitzer Prize winning books depicting racial injustice in Alabama and Huckleberry Finn, which deals with slavery and pre-Civil War America, include racist characters who regularly use offensive language, including the N-word. The Library Association lists them among the most banned or challenged books from 2001 to 2009. So listen, the the language in the book is what made them remove them, even though the message was about the 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 movements within the seizures that happen within the society to to defend equal rights, to defend against bigotry and hatred for the African-American community. And this is where we're going. Pulling down statues, erasing history, beginning to erase books. If you don't see this as tyranny, tyranny of the masses, then I'm sorry, you're missing, you're missing one of the most important moments of our time. Remember, again, back to the masks. If you voted 
This is not about what the majority would do. The Middle East and the Arab awakening proved this theory we all knew is that majoritocracy is what democracy really is. It's a mobocracy where the majority vote, as, as I think Ben Franklin said, democracy is three sheep, I'm sorry, three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. The sheep will be on the menu. So one of the reasons America is successful is we are a republic that has a balance of powers and that ultimately the Supreme Court decides what is our foundational legal system and how it shall be adjudicated, not a majority vote. The majority vote will set new laws and keep trying, but the ultimate final authority is the Supreme Court through the legal definition, and we have an electoral system based on a federal system, not based on a majoritocracy of the entire country's populace. Because of the diversity within the states that balances that. Now, the left wants to destroy that electoral system so that California and New York end up controlling the entire country's electoral system. But that would be un American. That's not the way the federal system, the republic, works. And similar to our balance and system, it's not a democracy, it's not a majoritocracy. So the same thing, a majority might vote for masks, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do legally. We need to have an ethical debate about what the values are and what it stands to be an American, what it means to be an American. So let's talk about this ad in the Tennessean, if we will. What happened this week? Well, wait, before we get to the Tennessee, and I, I, I hate to tell you guys I told you so, but remember the program I did about uh, six, seven weeks ago about the naval captain from the Teddy Roosevelt, USS Teddy Roosevelt, that was relieved of his command because of the way he handled the COVID crisis on board his ship. And I said, yeah, as much as the left media is uh, calling him a hero and that he cares about his people, every captain, every CO commanding officer cares about his sailors. Absolutely. But the question is, did the captain's deviation from chain of command, did that illegality, that insubordination justify, was justified by whatever was happening to his sailors? And what message did that send? Go back and listen to that podcast. Well, I was criticized by many who said that, well, this is not just I said so or, or, or yes, sir, type of U.S. Navy. And then they compared it to tyrannies. I won't go into the whole debate again. Listen to the podcast where I talk about unit cohesion and that there are checks and balances that at least you should have gone to the superiors there. This week, news stories say that in a major reversal, the Navy, after review of the case deeply, upholds the firing of the aircraft carrier Captain Crozier, who warned about the coronavirus outbreak. And he has been officially relieved of his duty as the CEO, Captain Brett Crozier. Again, I'm sure he's a hero who served our country Remarkably, but the decision-making he made 
to reveal to media and others outside the chain of command what was happening had so many other issues that involved that include a nuclear reactor and other things aboard his ship. Not just about the COVID pandemic and the infection rate aboard his ship. Hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Back to this Tennessean ad. What am I talking about? Well, this week... There was an ad placed twice. And, you know, it's one of these ads by a faith community that details sort of the end of times. And and from the beginning, the ad sort of lays out. The ad was from a ministry of the Ministry of Future for America, Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and again, I don't know if this represents mainstream Seventh-day Adventism. I'm, I'm not an expert on that at all, but they describe themselves, self-described the Seventh-day Adventists. And they had an image of President Trump at the top and Pope Francis. And they're holding their phones with several burning American flags. And right at the beginning, they talk about end of times, finding Jesus, etc. Normal, normal stuff. And then it says, Islam is going to detonate a nuclear device in Nashville, Tennessee, the ad claimed, with no evidence. Instead, they say the biblical prophecy specifies that Donald Trump is the final president of the United States, while referring readers to a website for more information called July 18 dot whatever, dot new or something like that. Went to that website, it goes on and on, chapter 1, chapter 2, about biblical prophecy of end of time. So these are doomsdayers, no doubt. And so, listen, my point of this discussion, you can go to the ad, take a look at it. Tennessean has, I believe it's left of center as far as uh, their... Their politics is concerned, and you have folks calling this group a far-right group. I don't like that description. I think it uh, demeans rational conservatives and those of us that are right of center. Uh, but they are doomsdayers who who relish in in sort of a, a conspiracy um, prophetic, non-scientific approach to whatever it might be. And they're ubiquitous on the internet. They're ubiquitous in social media with folks every few months having a date that they think the world's going to come to an end. But the point here, two things. First of all, it doesn't name a group. It doesn't name any Muslims. It doesn't identify Islamists. It doesn't identify Al-Qaeda, ISIS, or any of that. It simply says Islam will detonate a nuclear device. Islam is an idea. Islam is a faith. Believe what you will about it and its founding messenger, the Prophet Muhammad, that Muslims believe had the message of God. Believe what you will, but at the end of the day, it's an idea with a human being that founded that message through ideas. 
but the idea has a name. So it would be like if we were fighting the Soviets and you said, communism will attack us. That wasn't communism. Those were the Soviets who believed in communism. So to anthropomorphize an idea, to make it into a human being, is irrational, and it's surprising that the newspaper allowed that type of bizarre conflation of an idea into some type of acting, moving organism, an entity. Now, listen, the the, the fight against political Islam uh, starts on this program. So I get it that it's a movement of an ideology that needs to be defeated when it comes to political Islam. But the solution comes through a liberal, a liberated Islam that shares the values of Western ideas, of human rights, of Americanism, and fights against theocracy within the House of Islam. And that's the fight here. But an ad that poses in a paper from doomsdayers that anthropomorphizes a faith into an acting, breathing organism and then doesn't name the group or the Islamists and says somehow that there's nuclear capabilities, I'd love to find out what are they talking about? Which group? Get Homeland Security involved to diffuse that, expose it, how they're going to get a dirty bomb or whatever it is into Tennessee or into the United States. So yeah, people can post whatever they want on social media and all this kind of stuff. But in the Tennessean, as an ad? It's interesting. What's happening to print media? You wouldn't let ads from grotesquely extremist groups be posted, I'm sure. So now they're apologizing. They're saying they're going to review the process by which it happened. It's obviously, it was, a, it was an, a full-page ad with literally probably 4,000 words on it. I don't know how many thousand words on it. So it was printed with very dense writing. Probably missed it, but it was towards the beginning, which it talks about it within the first three, two or three paragraphs. So uh, somebody just didn't read it. Or if they did, they said, oh, well, they have freedom of speech. Is that part of freedom of speech? I think criticism of Islam is is absolutely defend uh, defended uh, not only Charlie Hebdo but the 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 insanity the the radical militancy of the Islamists of ISIS that attacked the Charlie Hebdo magazine was not only should be condemned but should be defeated and destroyed because Charlie Hebdo and every other magazine and print that wants to criticize Islam as an idea is free to do that, criticize the Prophet Muhammad, draw cartoons. I am not offended by any of that. But what I posted in my office, what I posted in on, on things that I believe are part of who I am, absolutely, I wouldn't, they, I'd tell them to take that elsewhere. So there are certain limits that can and cannot be posted. Now this gets into the whole cancel culture thing. In that they say, well, it's a slippery slope. Once we start canceling some things, then what's to determine what is and what is not cancelable? There was a petition launched calling for canceling Ice Cube's 30 for 30 documentary. 
because Ice Cube had written some grotesquely anti-Semitic tweets that were part of spreading decades-old conspiracy theories about Jewish people running the world and and uh, other things about their money on the backs of African-American slaves, etc. He tweeted things that about satanic Jews, just grotesquely things, and now they're calling for his cancellation. Saying that the documentary he participated in should be canceled to send a message that anti-Semitism is unacceptable. Now, some are saying, well, wait a minute. You don't want conservatives canceled, but you want to cancel anti-Semites. Well, listen, if we're going to play at this game, on the one hand, they need to be balanced about cancellation. So that's one reason to endorse this cancellation. Second, the, the amount of bigotry that this person showed against Jews in general and conspiracy theories, we are not talking about... When you allow people to criticize Islam, we're not talking about, again, at the level of this advertisement that I talked about, that should not have been printed, even if they were paying for it. They want to post it on their website like he does. There's many videos from that ministry forum, Future for America, that talk about Islam and end of times. I'm not asking for any of those videos to be removed. That's their own platform. YouTube, etc., not their own platform, but I don't think YouTube should get into those things. Now, a specific day of a nuclear device going off, that might, again, that also starts to get to the line of spreading hysteria and, and an imminent threat about major acts of terror that should be more specific if they're going to post it rather than just generating a huge amount of hysteria. So yeah, I think we need to have a longer conversation about cancel culture. Generally, I'm against 99% of it. But there are certain figures that should not be platformed. And I won't take a all or none approach to cancel culture. While some people want to be 50-50 and cancel half of the ones and most, no, I'm, I'm sort of in the 98-2. That 98% of freedom of speech is there, but there are some that just simply call for things so outrageous that major platforms should not allow them. Respected platforms. Now, I would tell you that my, my, my line in the sand for YouTube, Twitter, Facebook is far, far, far more difficult to cross because those are just general sort of highways of information versus a specific local newspaper, a specific smaller private company that's not just a general information highway, that's like a utility. And again, there's a lot of case law out there for that, and it's being argued in the Senate as we speak today. Well, folks, I hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. Stay blessed, stay strong, stay physically distant. We'll talk next week about the latest as some of the cases of COVID are surging. I'll give you a little bit of my medical insight as an internist and primary care doc about what's happening there. But to all the fathers out there, thank you, thank you. God bless you for all that you've done to bring healthy, valued souls to this planet. 
and make them strong advocates of freedom and liberty and stand against theocracy and other evils in mankind. This is your faithful correspondent on Reform This. This is Zudi Jasser. Find me on Twitter, Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and Reform This Radio. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.